0: I'm sorry, but the person you've called is not available. Please leave your message after the tone. I've been told that this menagerie podcast still exists, which is a surprise to me. I was told that when I left, it was all over. But now you
1: you carry on,
0: despite the fact that audience figures have dwindled to about three people, most of whom are in nursing homes. Um, and then to my surprise, I find that. You're comparing me, rather, uh, scandalously to foul-mouthed genius John Lennon. Well, how the f***
1: <sighs> Your house is burning down and you have all of your Doctor Who collection on the shelf, but you can only take one Doctor's era. Who's it going to be, Colin Baker or Sylvester McCoy? It's Doctors in the Dock, as we
0: face off Colin and Sylvester. Oh, toss a coin. All that and more in this exciting episode of Doctor Who... The Complete Menagerie. (laughs) Almost.
1: And here we are. We are not a Complete Menagerie, unfortunately. Today, it's just me, Sam. And me, Charlie. We're a man down today. We're a man down because uh, Greg is on his holidays. Oh, is that right? Yes, so we are now recording uh, without him. But he could just come in invisibly as a hand and a voiceover. Oh, I say. Like the Celestial toy maker. Uh, but he's not joining us today which is a rarity because i think the only other episode that greg's not in is the Buddy windrush special Ooh, the cutaway
0: from you 2017 yeah which was incredibly popular <laughs> so, well one doesn't like to boast yes,
1: yes it's well worth uh, listening to that episode where we go over the mccoyer and funnily enough we're going to be retreading those boards again today um in a discussion that Charlie and I have had many, many times before in the pub, which
0: is, who's better, <laughs> Colin Baker or Sylvester McCoy's Is so the, the, the saloon bars of, of this country have heard this conversation many times. Well,
1: this is because we have very strong views, don't we, Charlie? We do,
0: we do. indeed. We are opposing. poles apart, yes, poles
1: apart. And I think we have good arguments here. And the plan is we are going to lay out on the table uh, our arguments and you, dear listener, are going to be judge, jury and executioner <laughs> And rip off the police box's whole structure and tell us who you think is going to
0: win. It's their format, but you know what's the point with a good format if you can't nick it?
1: <laughs> That's it. So thank you very much to our Scottish sisters over over the border uh, for this fine
0: filler that we've got at the moment. Indeed, we'll, we'll tug it all up to you guys. Yeah, thank you very much. But
1: before we uh, before we crack on with that, uh we're going to nip straight into the Celestial forum to talk about some of the money that we've been spending. So here we go!
0: Now in the world, celestial toy maker he
1: manipulates people and makes them into his tracing. Charlie, now you have been spending money and you have bought a ticket, is that
0: right? It's Yes, it wasn't actually a, a thing I can put on the shelf, which is unusual, because these things we tend to buy, books, DVDs, magazines. This time it was a ticket for a gig at the Brudenelle in Leeds. Ah, oh, the Brudenel! One of the best uh, venues that we have to offer in, in West Yorkshire. World renowned, actually. I've played I've played the Brudenelle twice, yeah. yes, yes, indeed, yes. Supporting uh, Kyle Gass and Electric Six back when I was um, playing the drums. Well on this occasion, I was a member of the audience to see Paul Draper, who was a member of Manson back in the day, back in the sort of the 90s. And this is the 25th anniversary of their album Six, which is, um, uh, uh, shall we say, a, a quite a difficult listen, or can be if you're not into it. But for me, a, f- a fan of prog rock, it was just up my, up my street at the time. So to see that, the first time, actually, because the band didn't actually play the, the uh, album in its entirety back in '98 to see it on stage complete I thought would be a uh, a gig not to miss so we got tickets me and me and uh, my old friend Paul Shields went along and you might be aware that there's a Tom Baker section to that album that towards the back end there's a, um, a a cutaway if you like to uh, a track called Witness to a Murder where Tom Baker does a, a bit of um, a bit of monologue. And we're looking forward, obviously, looking forward to to hearing Tom in in the the environs of the of the gig and amongst the uh, the Paul Draper slash Manson um, um, sort collective. It would be nicer to hear one of ours, you know, writ bold large uh, and um, and uh, broadcast. Uh, on the on the uh, the sound system, and towards the end of the gig, Paul Draper, sort between uh, between tracks just sort of stopped and said, uh, "Can we have the half uh, lights up?" And then this voice, his booming voice, came across the uh, the, uh, the the PA. "Well, I, I can do that, yes, but my my cans are a little bit a uh, little bit um, reverb at the moment. So would you would you kindly sort that out?" And it was just a real <laughs> shiver down the spine to hear an un- unheard Pretty unheard outtake from the sessions played over the the pa was it was just a real thrill and then of course we had the usual tom doing all, all my life the hands i thought with that stuff it was it was great and just to be in in that environment with you know again with the with the um the paul draper um um collective to have that have tom up front and personal was just a real thrill a great gig i mean paul draper's not Quite the full shilling at the moment, but you know, yeah. in terms of, of experience, it was it was great. But yeah, to hear Tom again, that that voice from '98 just oh, it was great. So really enjoyed that.
1: He was full of pomp, wasn't he, back in the late '90s uh, into the early 2000s. He, he he was only in his early 70s then, wasn't he? Uh, that's how I still think of Tom now, as being in his medic suit, probably a bit tight fitting, a few pounds overweight. Gammy face but just full of life and energy and he's very different now isn't he well that's right but and I remember very different now and he, his voice has changed exactly well
0: it has but, but I remember very clearly when I was a, a subscriber to DWM seeing Tom for the first time walking with a stick and thinking oh mm. time is getting away from us you know it's, mm. um, he's getting older
1: he is yeah. and he's, he's lost quite a lot of weight in the last couple of years well as he
0: is now um, he, he is quite frail I think yeah mm. So we
1: have to cherish these years because he is nearing 90, isn't he? Yeah. Which is an absolute miracle. I think he must say every year, can't be long now, Sue. <laughs> you know, he's been dusting his gravestone for about 30 years. Well,
0: he has. I'll be dead soon, yes. So. I'm sure he's said that on more than one occasion. Bless him. That sounds absolutely fantastic, Charlie. I'm, I, I long for the time I can actually go out and have a
1: social life again. Um, <laughs> Why can't you, Sam? Is there a reason for that? There is a reason, yes. I've, I've now I've got a dependent. I've, I've, um, I've got a, a partner and a baby and a wine cellar to look after, so all these things take time and cost money. So what I have been doing is living the life I used to live when I was in my slightly depressive teens, where I'd withdraw into the, my bedroom, close the curtains on a sunny day and watch Doctor Who. And I've started doing that again. Bliss. It's been my crutch and... Isn't it wonderful that after buying all the VHS cassettes, we bought all the DVDs, now I can spaff more money on needless copies of the same stuff and and buy it on Blu-ray all over again. And that's exactly what I'm doing. And the the latest purchase that I made um, is season 24 box set. Now, I think as I've mentioned before on the podcast, I'm well behind you guys because Mm. Greg and yourself have been... Buying the Blu-ray box sets are uh, the collector's editions, I The believe. bigger
0: cardboard boxes, yeah. The
1: bigger cardboard boxes, which come out first, and then the, the, the plastic uh, boxed versions, the slimline versions, come out quite a while later, in some cases years later. Um, so season 24 is, I think, only just been released. We're, talk- we're recording this in March. I think it came out in February. Um, and so, yes, got season 24 in the post uh, for the princely sum of £38.99p, which really, looking back... Compared to what we paid for the VHS tapes, is an absolute
0: steal. Isn't it is
1: it? absolutely, and what a great set it is! You um, enjoyed it, I did. Uh, I think it's a season which doesn't get a lot of love. Something which we will be um, mentioning later in the pod uh, more broadly in terms of the episodes, but in terms of the duty of care to the restoration on this set, it is again second to none. Um, considering the source material is all one-inch videotape, mm. you know didn't really look brilliant on broadcast let alone um, upscale to 1080p but what the restoration team have done with this is just remarkable the colours are, are great the sharpness of the picture quality and the sound is superb and the range of bonus features is is really the allure for me on this because I think in many ways each of these seasons as they are being released the the extras the commentaries they are going to be the last word and testament Absolutely. on this time yeah. Um ...even the cast and crew of season 24... ...you know, they're in their 60s, 70s plus now... Um, ...so, yeah, it's quite shocking to see as well... ...many of the people interviewed on the sets are no longer with us, Don Henderson, Kate O'Mara... ...people who 15 years ago were fighting for him and well... ...so, Sylvester McCoy looking very elderly in the extras... ...it does pull at your heartstrings... ...but but yeah, very much enjoyed it... ...I think the big insight for me was the content... ...that was uh, recorded with Bonnie Langford... It's always been much maligned, dear Bonnie, for many reasons, not all unjustified, because of her light entertainment background. And I think in the late 80s, we were much less willing to accept that people could move across genres quite successfully. I mean, but I'm a big fan of Russell T Davies' version of Doctor Who, but Billy Piper was much more renowned as a pop star before she became an actor, and her... She probably one of the best features of Early Doctor Who in terms of what she brought to the show. She was an engaging character. Bonnie Langford could have had a very similar transition. she was just ill served with poor writing. Mm. I think once Cartmel gets his feet under the table, he actually writes for her in a slightly more interesting way, and <laughs> the final scene she has is
0: probably the best scene she 've had in Doctor Who where she 's leaving, which is ironically a scene that was, bought, was written before she even joined the series. <laughs> And who wrote that scene? Was it Carpenter? He did, yes. It was the
1: audition piece, wasn't it? Right, OK. And it's just very sad, because you see what maybe could have been. She was written with warmth, and Sylvester McCoy plays off that beautifully. Mm-hmm. And I think you do actually see at that point, the very end of season 24, it's like the turning of a very big super tanker that's been going down the wrong direction for a long time. They've finally managed to stop going in the wrong direction and turn the show it's just turning but it took a whole season mm. getting up to Dragonfire mm. for that tone to finally shift you can see Cartmel's influence as John Nathan Turner is finally taking a step back from all of the big decision making and just worrying about money and production <laughs> which is what he should have done
0: Yeah,
1: and Cartmel is effectively the showrunner mm. and yeah it's great it's, it's a really interesting study in Doctor Who being saved and running for another two years because really judging on the season opener time of the run they could have well pulled the plug looking at that because it's not great TV yeah but yeah I, I just think this is as good as the show is ever going to look at that time and it allows you to watch it in very very good quality you'd be mm. a bit more sympathetic mm. to some of the problems that they were facing and because you get so much context so much
0: background around it you appreciate it for what it is well i have to ask you that question have you sat through seven hours of uh, studio footage from time and the rani yes. absolutely not well i have actually <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that f- the, the full 24 hours of it which <laughs> is sure but um I, I thought well i'll dip into it and see what what's what Amazingly, it is quite engaging. You do sort of want to see what happens next. Really? Just to see them, obviously, off, off camera or not being recorded for, for a take and just, just being themselves. Kate O'Mara, good as gold. You thought she'd be, you know, the dynasty, you know, um, star, would be quite a, um, a diva, but she's not. She's just, just what she's told, you know. but well, she was
1: famously not very grand at all, was she? No, I amazing. Think, I think even yeah. John Nathan-Turner made the point that she stepped off dynasty and ended up in a quarry <laughs> Um, for Time in the Rani um, was just so upbeat because she loved working on Doctor Who because it was such a fun gig which yeah credit to John Nathan Turner I think he was one of the reasons why Doctor Who was fun because he was really an actor's producer wasn't he I mean he, they, actors loved John
0: yeah but what you expect from from that is kind of the um, Beryl Reed. <laughs> haranguing Peter Grimwade for, for you know for, for making her hang around for however many hours you know for, on Earth shock, oh, but yes. you don't get that from Katie Amari. She's just she's a professional. You know, goes in, does what she's told to do, then gets gets a limo to the to the hotel afterwards, and it's just you know great. So that is an insight into what you know happens behind the scenes, if mm. you like, you know, which I think is quite is quite worth. Delving into, and I quite enjoyed that. Yeah, well, studio tapes are an interesting thing, aren't they? I mean, I, I remember b-
1: before the DVDs were even a thing, I, I obtained a few very ropey VHS. Properties. Naughty, naughty. And goodness me, these were like 10th generation, so you, you could barely see or hear anything. The colour was dropping out.
0: Does of Levine know about this? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think I had Vampire from Space. Oh, really? The Cause of Axos. So that was what the titles were like on the studio tapes. Wow. And um, Death to the Daleks and it was fascinating just to see Pertwee getting quite uppity um, <laughs> you know some great moments was like could you please stop uh, jumping around in the corner there it's just complete, completely throwing me please in, in my line of vision very 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 very, 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 very difficult <laughs> to deliver the lines to deliver the lines I have yet to visit the uh, the studio tapes for the 80s stuff but there's just an abundance of it there? oh, there's so hours much hours and hours cause, from JNT's archives well how it? much is too much you know well it's great that it's putting it all on there. And mm. You can just work through it. I mean, there are versions which are edited down, aren't they, with subtitles, which is a bit more probably accessible.
0: I think it um about... Um, Wen Chiang's, like, talked 12 minutes of it, but, but with Time of the Rani... tapes, yeah, 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 content, That's right. So. But with this, you're getting the full... almost a whole day's worth of stuff. It's just a miracle that John Nathan-Turner kept all this. Mm. Um, yeah. Because uh, I don't think he could have possibly foreseen... Any market value in studio tapes in the 80s. No, but you know, At all. But you know yourself, you know, you, with, with, with work that you bring stuff home, stick it in a drawer, forget about it, you know, it's yeah. there forever, isn't it? Until, mm. until your executives have to go through the shit that's accumulated over the years, and that's what's happened here, I think. Yeah,
1: as well. I'm, I can only hope we get some more. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to season 25, um, because that will complete the McCoy era. And of course, there's some real humdingers in there. We've got uh, Silver Nemesis and uh, Remembrance of the Dalek, etc. <laughs>
0: Sil- uh, Silver Nemesis!
1: <laughs> I adore Silver Nemesis. So What's wrong with you? There's an episode we dedicate to that, where it's just full of love and joy. Oh. Would you be turned to rats? <laughs> we already have been! <laughs> Who doesn't love this stuff? Come they on. will surely
0: eat us. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the bear will not pursue us. Now, if you have an English ed- degree, as Charlie and I... Winter's have. Tale. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> You'll know the reference. Um, so, yeah... Um, Again, you know, in terms of TARDIS is out of five, you can't give it any less than five because the duty of care given to these sets is remarkable. But something I'd like to ask you about, Charlie, Mm. having been a collector of these since day one, you've got literally every one of them in the the card sets. Do you think you will continue buying the card sets for as long as they're running or will you transfer over to the slightly cheaper budget sets? And what is the advantage of having the card set over waiting
0: for these plastic ones? well purely because um, when you start off doing one particular thing you want to look good on the shelf and, and the shelf has to be consistent you know it's that kind of fanboy OCD stuff kicking in and you can't chop and change it has to be the same and so yes I will go through that a lot one thing I would say is that my season 2 set is still on its shrink wrap right okay yeah, yet yeah. to be opened yes Yeah, I haven't at the time but um, yeah, it's not because I'm not interested because obviously I, I, <laughs> I am obsessively but I haven't got time to sort of sit down and, and go through it, but I will get around to it. Um, That's but, the one with the hideous artwork of William Hartnell. Of William Hartnell, yes. Looking it's, nothing it's, like William Hartnell. It's not... Come on, it's not bad. <laughs> they, they're, 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 they're very nice, these. I have them on my. Whenever they, there's one released on, on Twitter um, from Mr. Mr Binding, I do put them on my on my wallpaper on my phone uh, that's until the next one comes round so yeah
1: I do feel that like the, the McCoy ones are lovely really good I think they've probably got better sources for the photos and such because they're obviously much later but the William Hartnell one and one of the Pertwee ones really should have gone to a focus group to make sure they look like the actual actor they're representing I think I, I do have a bit of issue with that because the artwork is beautifully put together the likeness Sometimes a bit off, and you need to get that right. Sure, I think you're nitpicking
0: a bit. Oh, well, maybe it's I... clearly him, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it might be Richard Herndl. I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> but Edmund Warwick. It's not, it's, it's not five foot five foot ten or whatever <laughs> Herndl was, yeah. <laughs>
1: but yeah, I, I've got another question to ask as well, uh, mm-hmm. and I, I'm sure you probably don't know the answer. But it's more an issue that we were going to be facing as Doctor Collectors who love continuity. Uh, we're very used to being from the VHS era which I think took something like 25 years to complete Um, the spines changing the logos moving around some having a 30 years banner on some not etc Russell T Davies has recently released the new branding framework
0: which is beautiful
1: which is beautiful Um, it's an enhanced version of the diamond logo isn't it which has derivations which do not have the Art Deco diamond and have the target Mm. version which I think is a stroke of genius yeah is this going to be integrated into this range, which already has the ghastly, ghastly Jodie Whittaker design style? And how is that going to work? Because you're going to have not a continuity of it evolving across the range, but it varying from season to season, because, yeah. of course, these seasons have not been released in
0: order. Yeah, well, I think it's, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. You know, same with, the, with uh, the magazine, that you're going to have to change the logo at some point. And yes, it will it will affect how it looks on the on the on the shelf, and that to, to a lot of people is, is is very important. So, yes, it's it's a, a difficult one for the people producing the um, um, the sets, but what what can you do? You know, it's, that's the way it has to be, unfortunately. But you'll continue buying them, of course. I will, absolutely. And you'll be committing to the card versions. Oh, I will. I will yes. Well, as you say, this is the last throw of the dice for for the original um, material. The, the, this is this is going to be the last word, I think. Um, unless it's can be plugged into our back into our brains. But of course, as we've discussed before, you know, the the market for this stuff is dwindling to a degree. There are a lot of stuff stuff missing from the sixties. So do you wait until and hope against hope that there will eventually appear from somewhere from a an archive in Nigeria or whatever, Philip Morris to one side. That you know, these things do tend to uh, you know, raise their heads eventually. Do you what, hang on until the bitter end before you release sixty stuff, yeah. or, or not? Obviously, they've gone ahead with season two, which was almost complete. So that's, that kind of makes a lot of sense. But when you're talking about seasons, you know, three, four, and, and five, and even six to 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 one extent, what do you do with that stuff? You know, a lot of it's still missing. So it's a hard one to, to call. I think. When people are like Mr. Levine demanding that you get on and do it immediately, you know, which way do you turn? Mm. So, which ones do you think will be next? Uh, season twenty, I think, has been rumored. Really? Okay. Yeah, so that's on its way. Season eleven, I think, has also been rumored. Excellent. Yeah, so those two, I think, we can expect. I mean, by that time, Pertwee will be almost finished. the yes. the, 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 the Majesty of Season Seven will be coming. One would imagine before too long, and then 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 that'll be that'll be done for him. Oh, I'm very excited for a season seven. Oh, upset. tell I mean, me about that's it. That's one of the that's one of the peaks. Recently watched Inferno again. Oh, yes, yeah.
1: Ooh. and that's that's an example of restoration just evolving. I mean, it's had several releases, and each release has just been getting better and better and better.
0: Well, someone was saying um, they recently watched. Uh, Peladon from the recently released season 9 set yes. um, and that was just incredible you know to say it's not it isn't 35mm or whatever Is what what, what what is it 16mm um, Peladon I think well there'll be
1: it'll be NTSC episodes yeah. brought back from America or Canada um, aligned with a 16mm tele recording which will be having a, which presumably would have been transferred in 1080p or higher... Yeah, yeah, ...to get the maximum resolution from it. But apparently it's spanking
0: on the Blu-ray, oh. so, Yeah. Was that an outtake? Uh, I
1: don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Do no? know. One of my pals actually was reviewing it as well, and he was looking at Day the Daleks. Yeah. And he sent me a... Uh, just shot on his phone, saying... Have you seen this? It's absolutely gleaming. I've just spotted something on the set as well of Day of the Daleks, um, the the uh, set where the Daleks are actually there, and uh, that someone had left a, a yellow post-it note on, on the scenery.
0: Oh, brilliant. And you can actually see it. Oh.
1: And it's like, I'd never spotted that. And it's so obviously a post-it note on the back of a piece of scenery with really? some Sharpie written on. <laughs> you can't see what the writing is, but it's just a, obviously a yellow post-it oh, note. Oh, fantastic. I didn't even
0: know they had post-it notes in 1972. No. Who knew? When were they invented? Before 1972, presumably wasn't it the, the mother of Mike Nesmith from The Monkees, or was that Tippex? That was Tippex, oh, apparently. Yeah.
1: apparently. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, but yeah, the, the, the
1: gum that was used on the back of post notes was an accidental discovery, oh, wasn't it? it? Okay, yeah, because it's uh, low tack. Okay, and yeah. I, I'm from low tack to very tacky, because we're moving into uh, the the main event for today um, in the time lash, which is. In the court of law, who will win? Colin Baker or Sylvester McCoy? The choice is yours. <laughs> order, order. Oh, but it's all arranged. Megan and I have important things to discuss. Yes, Doctor. Prepare the time lash. Okay, so here we are in the time lash and it's doctors in the dock we've uh, should we say borrowed or is this an homage to our friends over at the police box an excellent podcast uh, based in bonnie scotland and uh, what they do is they regularly uh, have uh, a trial, don't they, for certain Doctor Who episodes, stories, themes. And they fight it out amongst each other. And then they decide on uh, whether they're guilty or innocent, essentially,
0: don't they? And Absolutely, yeah. And we've guested on that podcast a few times already. We have, we have. Lully chaps, not all of them. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's their format. But what's the point in a good format if you can't lift it? So we've done just that. And it's... Uh, me and Charlie really uh, in court
1: today, and uh, I think Charles has the advantage over me. He's actually a legal
0: beagle, oh, aren't you, Charlie? Is it Charles now? Is it? Yeah, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Getting very formal, Samuel. Yes. Uh, yeah, well, yes. Yeah, uh, but the day job is, is has a legal bent to it, certainly. So it will be quite. I think it will be quite neat if you're, obviously you're, you're defending or you're. Um, making a, a, a case for McCoy, and I'll make it a case for Mister Colin Baker. If you start uh, making a submission, I will right. just come back on that with some comments. I will then make my submission. You can come back on that, and then we'll just sort of sum up to, to finish off. And then it's over to the listeners as to as to who is more convincing. I would think. Oh, I like it. Well, I, I have my submission ready. So,
1: what do I do? Do I stand up? I'm standing up, I'm standing <laughs> up to make my submission. Uh, In defence of the McCoy era over the Colin Baker era. So, firstly, let's start with the Doctor himself. I'd I'd say that he is a a more friendly Doctor. He is a more accessible Doctor, uh, both in the writing and in the performance. Just look at that face. There's a face you can trust, full of character. He's friendly. He's kind to his companions. He has compassion for his companions. He feels safe. He's somebody you'd want to spend time with. Now, that's a really important aspect of the Doctor, especially when you only have one companion who's a female companion on her own. I have issue with the Colin Baker era, which I will use later in my discussions. Now, Charlie is taking notes. That makes me very (laughs) nervous. This is like being in a job interview when they look down and write, and they're not nodding. This is what lawyers do, (laughs) Sam. I also think that the McCoy era presents progression in terms of costume. Here we have a costume which is much more akin to a travelling colonial character. You have a colonial Panama. It screams English establishment in a way, but also he's dressed with a scarf. He has a slightly strange pair of checked trousers, tan and white brogues. Not so keen on the question mark jumper, but at least it's somewhat hidden by the the jacket. And I just think it's a wonderful costume. It also harks back to the Patrick Troutman era. It's slightly clownish, ill-fitting, but at the same time, he could meld into any room. He could walk into a room, he could walk into a lecture theatre, he could walk into any street and just meld in with everybody who's around him. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful design by uh, Kendrew. The companions of the Sylvester McCoy are incredibly important. We have Bonnie Langford, of course, who's a hangover from the the back end of the Colin Baker era, but she didn't really have much to do in the Colin Baker era. She really comes into her own in in season 24. And there is a lovely interplay between the Doctor and Mel. They clearly enjoy each other's company. They're nice people. They don't bicker. They joke with each other, but it's a friendly environment to be in when you're watching them on TV. And then when Ace comes in, It's a much more rounded character. It is actually a character for once. It's not just a vessel that just says, oh, no, Doctor, or screams. She actually has something of an arc. She has a lot of depth to her. I know some people accuse Sophie Aldred of not having the best acting chops in the world, but this is not really the issue here. It's more about what the product is in terms of the relationship between the Doctor and his companion. And I feel that the the interplay between Sylvester and, and, and Sophie is just wonderful on camera and it's served by much better writing. Let's talk about the writing, actually, because we know that we have problems with the writing all the right way through the 1980s of Doctor Who. It's, it's, it's very, very chaotic. They seem to have a great issue finding writers half the time, something that Chris Bigmead kept complaining about and, uh, and Eric Saywood. When we had the Cartmel era, it seems that Cartmel has some very good links within theatre and authors who are already doing very good writing. And he brings in a lot of new blood into the McCoy era. I'm thinking, Rona Monroe, Ben Aronovich, my God, you know, really good writers who have gone on to do other great things since. And it just feels like a new show with new ideas. I'm not sure the Colin Baker era had that privilege. And if you do look at the writing and if you do read the novelizations from that time, it is, it's just, it's, the writing is just exponentially improved, I think. Now, within that writing, we also have a stronger political subtext. Of course, Doctor Who has always been a political show. It's always been slightly left-leaning, I'd say. Um, in the Carmel era, it, it really is laced through all of the ideas, whether it's the Happiness Patrol again, where we're talking about, the idea of being satisfied with the government that's ruling you and trying to put on a brave face and be happy. There's a lot of gay pride subtext going on there too. And then, of course, those race relations in Remembrance of the Daleks. I could go on and on and on. And that's really, again, Cartmell, Andrew Cartmell's influence and uh, having a host of young, politically savvy writers who I think were really sneaking this under the radar with J&T. And maybe this was the, a consequence of j taking a step back at this point in Doctor Who. He was very much in control of the Colin Baker hero. His, his stamp is all over it in terms of its aesthetic, in terms of some of the slightly uncontrolled story suggestions and directors who were on board it. Cartmel is somewhat the showrunner now, and you can see that in the in the writing, and you can see that in the, in the political subtext which is going on it doesn't feel like john nathan turner's show it feels like john nathan turner's production in terms of how the money was managed and uh, that's something I'd like to talk about as well really because i'm not sure on the figures here but i think each doctor episode cost about 25,000 pounds per episode when they were moving to the 14 episode structure uh, so basically the same budget as uh, colin baker's last season 14 episodes 25,000 pounds an episode it's really remarkable how JNT in the McCoy era managed to pin down a structure which was three episodes four episodes on location three in the studio essentially the same production but splitting up his production into two stories absolute genius he 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 absolutely stretched that money as far as it could go into two telly movies I don't know how he did it but he was a production unit manager and his expertise came in when he was when he knew how to make production work at the BBC and get every penny on the screen. And I think the apex of that achievement is the McCoy era, which probably is the least funded, but in some ways the most impressive on screen. Some of that budget stretching comes from outside broadcast. The outside broadcast is when you shoot on videotape in on location. It's something we're very familiar with when we watch sitcoms of that time. They will all have been outside broadcast, recorded on videotape if there's any exterior scenes, unless it's something like One Foot in the Grave, which is a peculiar show that's still shot on film on location. And that brings a problem, because when you shoot on film and then you go into the studio, there's a real jump between glossy, rich patina of 16mm and then the hard, sharp, clarity of studio videotape the McCoy era does away with that by actually ensuring everything's on videotape in studio of course and on location so that when you have characters walking from location to studio it's seamless it's the same visual architecture if you like it's the same technology that you're seeing and i think that really brings a continuity of style to the whole of the McCoy era it's been done before in Doctor, Who, of course. Barry Letts was very keen on making sure that all of Robot was shot on videotape, so that the CSO would work with the studio scenes uh, on location or in studio, and again in um, the Sontaran experiment and uh, scenes of Doom, all on videotape. But this time, it's it's for good. It's all on videotape, and I, I think the McCoy era benefits from that. But of course. There was film using Doctor Who and that would have been 35mm in most instances for the model sequences and anybody familiar with Red Dwarf of about that same time will know that the visual effects department of the BBC was probably at its absolute zenith in what it was achieving with model effects. It's up there with uh, the Gerry Anderson work. It's, uh, it's absolutely outstanding. The model work is beautifully built, shot, lit... And if you look at the scenes in Dragonfire with the uh, spacecraft leaving the surface of the planet, if you look at uh, strange matter in space and Time of the Rani, if you look at the asteroid in Silver Nemesis, if you look at the underside of the mothership in Remembrance of the Daleks, this is all stuff that really holds up well today. And it's down to the incredible skill and talent of the BBC, BBC Vision Effects Department. Now, Keith McCulloch was... Responsible for the music for many of these stories. It's of its time, it's late 80s. It sounds like the Miracle album by Queen, not without its faults. But we also have Dominic Glynn, and Dominic Glynn was on board onto Doctor Who, Trial of a Time Lord. By the time he was working in the McCoy era, it's some of the best scores that you'll ever hear in Doctor Who. Survival is outstanding, and it's such a good score. Dragonfire is a terrific orchestral score as well, all done on a on a Korg, just amazing. And Mark Ayres, some great music uh, in in Ghost Light, um, with very little money, giving us a real orchestral score to Doctor Who, and it's what Doctor Who needed to lift it, to to give it that production value. And finally, really, just to wrap it up, we have a refreshed title sequence. And it's a breakthrough title sequence, it's CGI. there weren't many CGI fully fledged title sequences. There were CGI items, tumbling logos, but Doctor Who had really the first full CGI title sequence that was used on a show of, of of that degree of that prominence. And it is such a shift from the the more optical film work that had happened previously. It's a real 3D. It's a real roller coaster ride. I think it's been described as a helter skelter ride, and. Yes, it has dated now, everything dates eventually, but at the time it was a real breakthrough and it really sets apart the McCoy era from everything else in the 80s. Every other 80s Doctor episode has the Starfield sequence and I'd argue that belongs to another Doctor and it's used across three. McCoy's is defined with its, its own unique design style and whether you like it or not, it stands out. For me, if the house is on fire and I could only pick up one doctor, it would have to be Sylvester McCoy.
0: Before you do anything rash, like pressing another button, may I make an alternative suggestion? Very nice. Very nice indeed. Uh, to uh, Lauren a quote from uh, the Jer Pesci movie, uh, the My Cousin Vinny, everything this guy just said is bullshit. <laughs> Excuse me, but, uh, yeah, I, I have to say, I have to take exception to pretty much all of what you've just said. Oof! Um, uh, I mean, uh, apart from the costume, I think that that is a, a point I will have to concede, that, that Colin's costume was a car crash. Um, he was a, would be the first person to uh, agree to that and, and, and say, so, well, that's not what he wanted, and it was very much... Um, uh, a mistake, a misstep on the part of j and and the, 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 the designs of the, of the show, but at the same time, your point that McCoy's costume was, was much better. Yes, it was better. Yes, there's no two ways it's about it. But would he meld in the word that you used yourself? I don't think he would. In that jumper with that umbrella, if you walk into a, <laughs> walk into a bar, he'd, he'd be the first person to get comments about that. You know, it, there's, he wouldn't be able to. Um, sort of um, move through a crowd dressed like that, and uh, that, that jumper is still it's still merch in the same way that that uh, Colin's costume was probably merch, um, and that is cynical to, to a degree. Uh, JNT is to blame for that, but at the same time, the fact that he came to the press the press calls in that hat. Tells me that JNT was just not that interested, you know. Like, Whatever you got, Sylvester, well, we'll go with that, you know. Cut down Cap, mm. that's fine, yeah. No real effort, no real thought, no real engagement in the show that he was supposed to be producing, which I think is, is says an awful lot about the era, the McCoy era generally, that it was, it was freewheeling, it was kind of, you know, already on borrowed time. There's no, there's no argument there. We know that full well from... History will tell us that it was, it was on runoff, but at the same time, you know, w- w- was the effort being put into it? I think after the hiatus, uh, JMT kind of lost interest, and that, I think, can be seen on what, what, what he produced and um, the, the McCoy era in, in, in general. So I'd, I would say that um, you know, the whole thing has this feeling, this mood of defeat... That, that they are going through the motions, and that it was um, a show that was already on its way out. Cartmel, yeah, noticed, I, I agree entirely that, that he was the best thing about it. That without him, it would have died on its on its arse, and he kept it going for three years, JT having lost interest. So, yeah, that I uh, also concede that, that Cartmel, the vision, the Cartmel master plan, is there to be seen, and that is a, a, certainly a positive. But we have that. You know, it's all within that context of a a show that was um, set up against Coronation Street. It was the graveyard slot. There was no future for it. So um, the the atmosphere, I think, is is one of defeat. Um, Colin Baker, his era, in um, in contrast, obviously, I'll I'll discuss that in a bit more detail uh, in a moment. But season twenty-two. You know, after Androsani and the, the success of the back end, at least of the of the Davidson era, it was on a on a high. Really, it was. You know, we had the the five doctors, and then we had season twenty one, which was on the whole a success. It was it was flying not not high, but it was certainly um, back on its feet. Um, and I think that season twenty two is is a a show with some swagger about it, and that was missing completely I would, I would argue from the McCoy era um, just going back to, to your other points um, I think that um, the writers you mentioned that there was some new blood again that was down to, to, to Carmel but there were uh, there were writers who by their very own admission didn't know the show that well you know there was Graham Curry Ian in Briggs didn't have that much of a hold on what that he was all about they were certainly able writers with some, some some good some good fresh ideas, but they weren't Doctor Who writers. In the in the Baker era, we had Robert Holmes you know, front and centre, Philip Martin, you know, a, a, a seasoned BBC writer who knew full well what Doctor Who was all about. He knew he knew the um, the curve, he knew the, um, the beats to hit, he knew full well you know what was required. So the fact that there was new blood isn't always a good a, a good thing when when these people are. Employed to do a job, they're not there because they are fans. Uh, one benefit or one positive, shall we say, of the of New who is that a lot of the writers who came in on RTD's watch and on Moffat's watch were were fans. That there were uh, seasoned, you know, professional writers who had absolute passion for the show. They knew uh, far better than than, um, shall we say. Um, not hacks is the wrong word to use but the professional jobbing writers they, they, they had a, an investiture in, in, the, in the show and, and that came through in what they produced I'm thinking you know, of people like Moffat himself and um, Paul Cornell in, in particular Mark Gatiss as well people who, who knew what they were doing so the fact that they were, we did have new blood is always a good thing you mentioned politics as well. I think politics. You know, it's, it, this is fundamentally a children's show. Why should why should politics become a, an issue? Why should we have to go through the hoops? Um, I'm thinking about obviously um, Happiness Patrol in particular. You know, okay, it was sufficiently um, buried in the, the subtext to to get away with it, but it, uh, that I don't think is always always a positive. There was no politics necessarily in the Colin, Bacon's, Colin Baker's era. Apart from perhaps the vegetarianism in the two doctors, but on the whole, it was a politics-free zone, um, generally speaking, and that is the way it should be. It's entertainment. It's not. It's not. Um, uh, it's not a tract. It's not um, propaganda. It's supposed to be a, uh, you know, a, a kids' TV show. So I don't think the politics is um, is something that you should be crowbarring into the show. Um, you also say that they did a lot with the money that they had. Yeah, the, we, it is on record that the budget had been slashed since the hiatus, and I would say that season 23 also suffered from that. But my perception or my, kind of, um, my view on Colin Baker's era is that that is not season 23, that the era is encapsulated by season 22, but that really is the, isn't the era in um, averted commas, and that was an area which had uh, sufficient budget, you know, they they had money behind them. The fact that you're trying to turn penury into a positive is interesting, but I don't think that it necessarily works, that stuff like Happiness Patrol, um, I'm thinking about the the go-kart, um... Farting its way around around uh, <laughs> around Studio Eight. <laughs> that isn't good TV, I'm afraid. Um, it's 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 embarrassing. So yeah, the fact that it is on a shoestring, you can be seen. It's clear that they are struggling to um, make ends meet, I don't think that's a good thing at all. You also mentioned video as being a, a, a good thing, but it's a consistent viewing experience. Um, I think all you're doing there is making the whole thing look crap, rather than just part of the, <laughs> part of it. <laughs> when you have some beautiful-looking film sequences and stuff like uh, Revelation and the Two Doctors and, uh, and the side Man, it's it looks it looks great. You know, it's 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 professional TV. It's not uh, Amateur Hour, which I think that the, the video era kind of looks like. So that I think is also a, a negative rather than a positive. So that's my that's my comeback to to your points, Sam. I hope that you didn't do that personally. But <laughs> oh. I have a withering look on my face. But he uh, does. That look is withering. It's um, Miss Withering.
1: I'm just going to come at you. <laughs> when...
0: Well, l- 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 before you do that, <laughs> make my submission. <laughs> oh, enough of your submission.
1: All right,
0: Colin Baker, a defence of, of an era, not an actor not a um, way of doing things but a whole a whole era a holistic view Hartnell Troughton Pertwee Tom Baker Peter Davison Colin Baker what do they all have in common other than Doctor Who I would submit that what they have in common is that they are all actors of a certain of a certain stripe they are character actors They are professionals, they are all-rounders and they are very much Doctor Who. That is what we have to look at in the context of, of Colin Baker's era, what has come before him and does he fit into that august group of actors who have played the part and I would submit absolutely that he does, that he is an actor of ability, of charisma, that is why lest we forget that he was picked for the part, having impressed JNT at a, at a wedding. He was somebody who was right for the part. He, was, he came um, on the heels of some pretty stiff competition, some, some big pairs of shoes. Davidson, as you know from speaking to me previously, Sam, is someone that I, I'm very um, uh, fond of in terms of or, or impressed with in terms of his abilities as an actor that he was, unlike the previous four, he was um, not playing himself at all. I think that the previous four were partly themselves and partly actors. Actors who were playing themselves but also had the ability to do that and do it well. Uh, and Pertwee and, and Tom Baker in particular had that in spades. But Davidson came not as a Um, uh, a character of his own type, he was playing a part and did it extremely well. In every scene that he was in, he he bought into that completely. He was playing very much um, for the benefit of the scene, not for his own ego, should we say? Perhaps that's the benefit of Tom Baker, but uh, there was a certain degree of that. But then Colin Baker came in and I think he too was playing the part as an actor rather than as a character. We know that he um, he hit the wrong note in playing the the Sixth Doctor as a bastard, uh, but that was not going to be the way he would be playing it throughout his tenure. And this, I think, is uh, in his defence, is very much um, him the bit we saw of him wasn't representative of what the era should have been or would have or could have been had he remained in the part that the idea was that he would mellow over the years that he would become the doctor that everyone would remember he would become the new tom baker eventually but he started off playing it as a cranky bully a violent man an unpleasant man and that backfired enormously and i don't think that's his fault but at the same time, and this is a point I've made before to you, Sam, is that this, to me, was um, a brave um, and a brave and well, it was a brave thing to do—a brave, new, fresh, original take on the character to play the Doctor as a really unpleasant person. But that wasn't going to be that wasn't going to be the, f- the whole picture. And I think that by season twenty-three. We did see a change, and you say uh, in defence of McCoy that we had him and, and Mel getting on really well, and then later on with, with Ace, that the, the companion and the Doctor were a pleasant and safe um, coupling, and I don't think safe is always a good thing, that you have to be a little bit edgy sometimes, and that is very much what Eric Saywood would bringing to the show in season 22, it was it was dangerous, it was exciting, it was thrilling. To me, at 15 years old, and I was 13 years old, in 85, uh, 12, 13, it was, it was brilliant, that's the only way I can use. To me, as the target audience, lest we, we forget that uh, Sidney Newman um, had a 15-year-old child in mind when the, the show began in 63, I was exactly... All, Almost exactly, the age that was that the show was intended for. I found season twenty-two just brilliant. Um, and I would say we'd brought in elements that were shocking, perhaps to, to to the sixth floor, but at the same time they were artistically justified um, and just yeah, just on the edge. You know, it was a, a, an era where they pushed the envelope. I understand that the idea was they were washing their dirty laundry. They were cleansing themselves of what the past had been, thinking of stuff like seeds of doom, you know, that kind of thing. That kind of violent adult edge that they were, they were, they were very much um, uh, irrigating their, their, their colons and getting rid of, of what Doctor Who had been, showing what Doctor Who could be and had been before they they, they launched into the new the new era, the new. Approach uh, of Doctor Who. Whether or not that was what we got in season 23, I, I, I really couldn't say. I my, my my view is that season 23 was a show with its, its balls cut off. That that had a good drubbing from Powell and from Grade, and they came back with a show that was um, a shadow of its former self. <clears throat> had they been given their the, their um, their head, and had they been given the license to run with what they wanted to do? Um, who knows how different that would have been but Colin Baker always describes his tenure as quite interruptus that he was enjoying it so much and had such big plans uh, for the show and for the part that he was playing and I think that by looking at season 22 and, and to a lesser degree 23 and summing up the era on the basis of that evidence alone I think is is misconceived what would have been, we will never know, unfortunately. Um, and I, I accept that, that the evidence we have is all that we have to go on. Uh, but the plan was to make uh, this uh, this man, this the, the Doctor character, to be uh, far more um, approachable and far more... Um, a, a far safer place. Not as safe as McCoy, which was, I think, too safe. But that was kind of the plan. And by 23, we do get... A healthier Doctor and companion relationship that, that Perry is seems far more settled in the TARDIS, um, and that having had a previous season where she was um, fighting with the Doctor almost constantly, which was wearing at times. I, I, I also accept that. I would I concede that point. But the arc is there. There is an arc, and we get the payoff when when Perry is killed at the end of my War, that the Doctor is genuinely touched, genuinely um, aggrieved agree, by, by that turn of events, and Colin Baker's performance of that uh, moment, I think, uh, speaks to his abilities as an actor. I would also, I think, go, um, in terms of, of comparison between the Baker and the McCoy areas, I would uh, invite... Um, the jury to have a look at the the first scenes from both doctors. We have Colin Baker in the Twin Dilemma. Uh, for the first five ten minutes, I think he sparkles. He's very easy in the part. He takes to it like a duck to water. There's there's no self consciousness there at all. He's very very easy in the role, performing it as an actor would, as an actor of ability and, and experience would until we get to the Thomas More poem and the the, the throttling scene, he's brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant. And had we had that throughout the entire tenure, I think the outcome would have been a lot different. We may not have even had the the hiatus, that it was a performance of of, um, of, um, confidence and um, assuredness. And it was great roll forward a couple of years to a Time of the Rani and we get Sylvester doing his first scene, the um, little nap scene. And it's hard to, to, to work out what he's saying half the time. You know, he can't even get the bloody words out. Um, and it's panto, it's bloody panto. This is an actor who is, you know, don't get me wrong, Sylv, me old, me old mucker, you know, I think you're great really, but uh, you are a performer, You're not an actor. You are um, a clown. You are a face and a sound. You are not a, a performer of texts, um, in my view. And that comes through very clearly in the first few scenes from Time of the Rani. You are an actor out of your depth. Colin Baker was <coughs> completely at home in the Twin Dilemma for the first five, minute, five or ten minutes. I think that speaks volumes about the, the era, generally. I mentioned before about the fact that I was 13, 14 when season 22 hit our screens, and I think that your view on the Colin Baker era, because that is, let's face it, the main meat of, of, of that era, depends upon your view on Eric Sayward. Are you pro or are you against his approach and his his view of the show. Personally, I'm completely at home with that. You know, Earthshock is a good example of that during the, the Davidson era. Um, Androzzani, of course, an absolute triumph on, on every count. <clears throat> and it's clear that JNT got the message and came back and said, look, for season 22, just give us Androzzani for the whole season. Something similar to that. Something with a certain grit to it, a certain edge a you know a, a pair of cojones um, and a, a fearlessness, a fearlessness. That's that's a good way of putting it. Is that we have um, characters uh, shooting Sadman through the mouth, and we have Chassini licking blood off the pedestals, We have Stengos begging his daughter to, to kill him. You know this is this is gritty. This is this is this is ballsy stuff. You know, brave, gente couldn't give a shit. You know, he's really bringing it. it brings his A-game. I think to all these show, all these shows in 2022. It's look, look at what we can do. Look what we are able to do. Look at what we are capable of. Okay, it killed the show, but to a horror fan of a certain age, this is classic sh- stuff. This is classic shit. This is the seeds of doom all over again. You know, we, we, this is a fearless production team. Um, and what, we came, what came after that after the drubbing that they got they got a complete carpeting as we know from, from Powell and Gray what came next was half the show it was or could and should have been half the episodes half the budget half the leading actor um, and an approach that just um was a shadow of its former self And for that reason alone I think that the Colin Baker era Ended season 22 That was the high point That was the end of Doctor Who In many respects And I think that um, That that is, is a monument to itself The soundtrack you mentioned again yeah, oh, Dominic Glynn Fantastic Love his stuff he of course came back to uh, he did the the, um, the redo of the, the theme for season 23. At the time, I thought it was it was thin and weak and, and feeble. But looking back on it, it was bloody marvellous. You know, a really great new take on on the theme. You know, fantastic. But beyond that, or rather before that, we had Peter Howell's take, which again, in my money is the best the theme has ever heard, ever sounded. You know, it's that's controversial. I accept that, but I would posit that electric guitar—obviously, uh, it wasn't guitars, but it sounded like guitars. The, the, the electric guitar approach that Howe brought to it, with the Sid Sutton, Sid Sutton, um, Starfield um, uh, titles, was 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 fantastic. You know, it was brilliant. You say it was borrowed from previous doctors. It was if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know it worked really well. You know the, the theme tune and the visuals together. It was it was it was the equal of the 70s stuff, the 70s theme and the 70s titles, which you know, is, is peerless. You know there, there's no argument there at all. But what came after it with the McCoy uh, theme and the McCoy titles, the, the screwed up scru- bits, bits of uh, paper being thrown at the screen. Um, it's again. It's merch. It's it's eighties bad taste. That logo logo is wretched. You you, you can't argue that, surely, <laughs> my learned friend. Compared to what we'd had before, I, right? I surely do. <laughs> I surely do. <laughs> <laughs> the kind of phrase. The neon logo was 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 great. You know, um, so for me, the late eighties, it was on its way. It was going downhill, um, and I think that that was from season 20 onwards so for me the era it was to sum up the era was um, it had ability it had budget it looked great and it, it had a long way to go it was it was a, a story arc with legs and it should have been allowed to run itself through to run run its course and the fact that it didn't is a crying shame and on that note I rest my case
1: well, thank you very much, Charles. <clears throat> if I could speak to some of the things that you've said there, um, I understand what you've said. I respect what you've said. All without notes, I, I hasten to add.
0: That was off the curve. <laughs> awesome.
1: He wung it. He wung it on a wing, on a prayer. Indeed. Uh, but I do not agree with everything you've said, of course. Uh, oh
0: well, having reached that brilliant conclusion, how about getting on with it?
1: You, you say that the doctors are character actors, professionally able, that Colin is able, charismatic, consummate. You compare him to Peter Davison as being, again, the same as him and somehow how Sylvester McCoy doesn't qualify in the same league, but he's a, a performer, he's a clown. This is the same clown that played the fool against McKellen's Lear ten years later was whilst Colin Baker was in a jungle eating a kangaroo's a**, Sylvester McCoy was on the big screen. Objection. This is years later. <laughs> We're talking about the areas here, not what happened later. But you are talking about the ability of the actor, and I'm saying that Sylvester McCoy is of the same calibre, without doubt. He's earlier on in his career, for, s- for certain. He is. A proto version of what he would become but that is what is so rewarding in Doctor Who he is not always absolutely in tone or on the right beat sometimes he is so off note it's very very jarring but he is instantly forgiven in the next scene when he delivers a beautifully crafted line look glance with the warmth and the depth and the mystery which Colin could never ever reach. Colin was always bang on with his timing, his lines, his diction was always incredibly clear. Sylvester did struggle with that and he's noted that himself. And you can see in later episodes of Doctor Who, his diction has much improved as he is learning his craft. He was disadvantaged. He was the George Lazenby of the Bonds, if you like, in terms of coming in and being ill-equipped to play a really big, strong leading role but by golly did he raise his game in that part. And by the time you see Ghost Light, he's walking over Colin. Colin had the advantage of having much more television experience throughout the 70s. He... He doesn't look like a real character. His hair is very, very styled. I know that's J&T's influence. That's incredibly distracting. It's not just the costume, it's the whole persona. The amount of slap
0: he's wearing is very distracting. Objection, that's 23. 22, he was lithe, his hair was good, and the make wasn't obvious. 23, yes. I can see the point. OK. But we have to
1: talk about both seasons, Charles. We're talking about the whole product here. If I wanted to, I could jettison season 24 and win this instantly. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so you have to unfortunately accept that season 23 is part of the Colin Baker era. And like it or not, that is that is what you are defending. So we can't just suck to cherry pick the bits we like. OK, I'll submit some remembrance, remembrance of the Daleks and nothing else from the Sylvester McCoy I'm talking about the whole enchilada here, and yeah. Sylvester is an incredibly patchy actor in Doctor Who. There are some terrible moments, I will concede that. Even in Battlefield, as late as that, he is misdirected. And when he's shouting, I just want to intercede and go, can we just cut this scene because you don't need to do that because you have, you have the ability just to deliver this line low key. Colin as a more experienced actor probably would not have ever delivered a line shouting like that. He didn't need to. But at the same time Colin never interceded during scenes where he was committing gross violence which was just completely completely wrong and that is not the actor that is misdirection but even when he was performing those scenes I would have liked to have thought he would have done what Roger Moore did and go this isn't really me. Can we do this in a slightly different way? We can still be threatening, we can still be frightening, but do I really need to throw a 19 year old girl on the floor? I'm a 14 stone man, and she's on her own in a room with me. It wasn't 14 stone.
0: <laughs> not then it was, it was later. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just feel it, it, it's, I'm going off topic there because it's not talking about the actor. And as, as much as I do like Colin, I think he's wonderful to watch. And we are talking about the Doctor there, and in terms of the Doctor, not Sylvester or Colin, the Seventh Doctor is just so much more appealing to watch and be in company with than the rather oddball, super colorful, nasty Sixth Doctor. When we spoke about the relationship of the companions, I cannot believe that you think the relationship of the companion between the Sixth Doctor and compared to the seventh, is more interesting to watch. It's unpleasant to watch. Okay, sometimes unpleasant things are more beguiling, but that's sustained for the best part of a whole season. It's wearying. Those TARDIS scenes go on forever. And I just ask myself sometimes, Surely Perry would just leave. It's an abusive relationship. He's nice for one minute, he's horrible the next. It's known as gaslighting these days. He leaves Perry in a constant state of confusion where she's always whining. If they were married, they'd be going to marriage counselling by right now. I think
0: concede that, but then you look forward to Mister His Planet where it's it's far more cuddly. It is. So there is an arc there. There's progression with McCoy. It's one note, but it's not an arc, Charlie, because. It's a snap change.
1: The relationship, and I know there was an 18-month hiatus, but if we were just to assume that there were no adventures in between, then it goes from whatever was supposed to happen, a revelation of the Dalek, straight into Mysterious Planet. It's a snap change forced on them by the sixth floor. Yeah. I believe it would probably have taken a lot longer to get to that point. How much longer would we have to sat through this hideous relationship between these two who hate each other's company this sneering male this almost defenceless young American girl by revelation it was different you, might, you have to con- con- concede that, surely different but not much better it's a, I do concede that it's a great jump by Mysterious Planet but that's by force necessity and not necessarily by yeah. narrative control yeah, yeah, from, yeah. from the Doctor Who production team I'd say It's not engaging in the first season. The first season that you hold up as being best peak Colin Baker. I'd say it's a Mm turn-off. And the ratings say the same. First story, Attack of the Cybermen. It's a ratings winner. It's diminishing returns every story after that. There's a reason. And I think it's fatigue on the part of the audience. And you go on to mention how... The debuts are completely different in terms of Colin having great strength and Sylvester McCoy having none, being pantomime, having diction issues. But as I've said, he grows in the part. And even T said, the debut doesn't have to be perfect. You won't be judged on the debut in future. You sustain your audience by showing growth. Again, I'd wager Colin maybe did peak in the performance at the beginning. But after that, where did it go? Elise Sylvester developed and grew in the role, and actually, his audience base was smaller. But he sustained it. Up against incredible competition with Coronation Street, as you mentioned. Colin Baker didn't have that competition. He lost that audience on his own. He had the A-Team. What's that in there? You praise Eric Sayward as being a great
0: writer. (laughs) Here we go.
1: Yes, but the examples you say are from the Davison era. You're praising Earthshock. You're praising all of the great, the visitation. You're you're praising the reason why he got the job as script editor. But what you're not really praising is when he was in, in seat, in role. And even Eric Saywood himself doesn't praise that season very much. If you speak to Eric Sayward, he's full of gripes, he's full of irritations, he's full of upset. Whether it's the producer John Nathan Turner, whether it's the leading man he did not want to write for. He did not even want to write for the Doctor by the end of the season. He was writing for the supporting cast. I don't know what that says about the production. I don't know what it says about the character that had been developed in terms of the Doctor. And I don't know what it says about Eric Sayward, but it doesn't tell me that it's a happy ship or that the writing was anywhere near as cohesive as what you were getting under Andrew carton who was always putting the Doctor front and center, but never overwriting him. Hmm. What we get from Eric Sayward when the Doctor is on stage? Gritty, for sure. Nasty, certainly of what I'd say, camp and cruel. <laughs> <laughs> About to settle as a brick in the face. <sighs> you move on to say that the show should be hailed uh, uh, for that 14 episode structure in Trial of a Time of which it delivered really well. The McCoy era did the same. It did exactly the same. It dealt with 14 episodes structure, a limited budget, but it did it over three years. And it executed it in a much more imaginative way by balancing location stories and studio footage. And I think it did actually spread the money in a much better way. And let's not forget, Doctor Who lost that budget. It lost that money under the Colin Baker era, (laughs) not the McCoy era. And it was the McCoy era that had to readapt and make a show look just as good with little money, thanks to that time. Those 14 episodes... Yeah, they are impressive of what they did in Trial of a Time Lord. The McCoy era was forced to work under those conditions and it executed them in a much better way. And let's not forget, the McCoy era was canceled in 1989. The Colin Baker era was canceled
0: twice. <laughs> is, up? is that, is that your, your final point? That's my final point. Okay. One point I'd like to make, which I didn't make uh, during my, my main submission is um, you mentioned the soundtracks you had Kef we had Peter Howell doing Two Doctors which to my mind is the best soundtrack from the 80s if not the entire show it's gorgeous and it works so well with the visuals that I think is again a big plus plus. and to sum up I'll just say one thing which is Colin Baker was the whole package he was the real deal um, McCoy was YTS learning on the job that's it pretty much thank you
1: Okay. Well, of course, you are Judge jury, and Executioner. So after you listen to this episode, I hope you will join us on Twitter and vote in our poll, which will be online, and we will judge the results uh, in one of our future episodes, uh, which Greg will be joining us. Now, we are often accused of just freewheeling and coming up with any old nonsense and spy. A good number of the visitors and listeners that have clung on to this podcast for the last decade now—is that,
0: is that right? <laughs>
1: That's shocking! Absolutely <laughs> shocking. So we have a little bit of a treat for you in that we
0: have some statistics here for you. So, Charlie, I want to uh, just ask you a few questions. This wasn't disclosed previously, so uh, it's not admissible, I'm afraid, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Payne. Get out of my court. <laughs> it's just two questions, really. OK.
1: Um... So what was the highest viewed episode of the Colin and Sylvester McCoy era, do you think? And when I say episode, of course I mean serial, I mean story.
0: Well, I assume it'll be Attack of the Cybermen for Colin. Okay. Uh, For Sylvester, I don't know. Well, it's a a similar
1: trend between the two. So Mm. Colin uh, peaked at 8.05 million uh, with Attack of the Cybermen. Um, this declined sharply to 6 million before picking up during Time Lash, which may seem surprising, but if you associate that with the period of during the cancellation of the two Doctors, and then Revelation of the Daleks pulling in more viewers at the end. So I think the publicity, the front page of The Sun saying Doctor Who was cancelled, would have had more people watching by the end of the season. But if you were to cancel the cancellation, and take that out of the data, I think you'll find that... 8.5... Sorry, 8.05... I think you'll find... I think you'll find, Toby Haydock. (laughs) Uh, We have a... Diminishing returns after Attack of the Sidemen. Now, Sylvester, interestingly... Is it Daleks? It's not. Oh, okay. It's also a Sidemen, so it's Silver Nemesis. Oh, Was his was his his peak against Coronation Street at 5.5 million. Mm -hmm. Interesting, And I did mention this earlier, that a lot of Sylves' figures are consistent. They all hover around the five million mark. They do waver, some are a bit lower. I mean, Battlefield is an all-time low. Uh, I think it might be about 3.8. In most respects. <laughs> <laughs> but on the whole, he, he's very consistent, unlike Colin, who, I mean, Trial of the Time Lord was equal, equally bad, but he had the advantage of having a Saturday night slot. Mm. Sylvester did not have this. He's on yeah. Wednesday nights, half past seven, quite late, opposite Croatian Street. What a disadvantage. Um but if we wanted to be picky, Sylve wins the battle because he's actually hit nine point oh eight million with the nineteen ninety-six television movie, but we're not including that that you is out don't of scope. That is <laughs> out of scope. So, out of the two doctors not the two doctors literally, these two doctors, mm. who had the most screen time? Now I don't mean in terms of lines or actual kind of scenes, but how many, you know, minute for minute episode
0: mm. who had the most uh Doctor Who screen time. Well, obviously it's McCoy because yeah. you're, you're making the point, but I don't, I don't think that that necessarily means that it's a win. I mean, people have said in the past argued that this show is Doctor Who, where is Doctor Who is not on the screen. They should be on the screen. If it's not, it's a failing. I don't. I don't accept that. I don't accept that. When you have, for example, Revelation, you know, it's on the foot throughout the entire first episode. You know, walking through the snow and it's all about Tarkis and, and, and the DJ and, and Davros and Olseni and Kara. But that to me is, is interesting, it's good drama when you're building up your characters, when you are creating a world. It's not just about the Doctor, you know, flipping his hat and twirling his umbrella, you know. We've got a, we've got a drama going on here, we've got, we've got proper lines, we've got a proper scenario. And I think that's, that to me is more important than getting the Doctor to gurning on the, on on the screen for the whole 25 minutes or 45 minutes. So I don't think that's necessarily a good thing. Are you talking
1: about actual Doctor time? I'm talking about how much Doctor Who was on television during those years.
0: Oh, I thought you meant the Doctor being on the screen. No, but you're absolutely right. I do think the, the, the Colin Baker era Doctor was sidelined. Because of Eric Soward, yes. I, 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 that's right. No doubt. And that's then, right.
1: I think under... Cartmell, he's he's reinstated as the central character quite rightly. Yeah. I'm talking about the number of production minutes that was produced in each era. Which one had the most? Do you think?
0: Well, if you have, if it's t- if Colin Baker's era is two years, then surely it's Colin Baker. I think Colin had the most. Well, obviously, that's not right, but that's, that was my assumption. Okay, so from your from your look doing the calculations (laughs) I I know I'm going to have if you'll
1: find responses to this yeah Um, I have gone through the uh, the program guide and the uh, the Doctor Handbooks by uh, House Dummers and Walker Um, I have not gone down to the minute here I've for the record uh, Samuel Paine is holding up These books, yes. Which apparently (laughs) are very valuable now. Um, Very good reads, both of them full of all sorts of information. Uh, As we know, Colin Baker's first season had uh, 45-minute episodes, and um, the average Doctor episode should be 25-minute episodes. Some are shorter, some are longer, but we did this calculation on 45-minute and 25-minute episodes. So, not forgetting, I know that Colin had an extra long 30-minute episode at the end of Trial of a Time Lord. Colin Baker's era runs to 17 hours and 20 minutes okay Sylvester runs at 17 hours and 30 minutes so he has an extra 10 minutes on on screen but does it include the film does not include the film right I'd argue this point it's a point that J&T put forward when getting very stressed out that he was told he was doing 45 minute episodes that doesn't account for less reprises and less titles and opening titles and closing titles which we get more of in Sylvester McCoy than Mm. we would do in in Colin's season so in actuality it's it's probably a parody Mm -hmm. uh, because Colin would have had more original content than
0: Sylvester because there's lots of reprises in the Sylvester McCoy era interesting so there we go well, if if you have a twenty a, a full season cut in half, which is what happened in, in season twenty three, then it, that makes sense. So I mean, in fact, they've, Colin had three years of, of material in, in in two years. Yeah. And Sylvester had the three full three years. So yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. So in terms of weight, they're both punching. Yeah. On the same level. So can't
1: wait to hear what people have got to say about this. I think a lot of it has got to do with your age. I, I mean you were just born and ready for the colin baker era. Yeah. Right? you you were absolutely primed I was i grew up with the real fag end of the colin baker era. mind mm. warp was my induction and then after that i was just in love with sylvester McCoy and forgot colin entirely and then discovered the joys of the pertwee era and the tom baker era through the bbc2 repeats so, you know never have it any other way i will not be moved that's right so it's all about obviously the time that you grew up in but Yeah, we want to know. We want to know your reasons, and we want to know your votes. So, please, vote accordingly. Vote now! (laughs) Anyway, we should probably pack up for this episode, Charlie. I think uh, we've bored people enough with our complaints, don't you? We've we've done our bit, yes, yes. It's been a pleasure to be back in the cab. First time in the studio, by the way.
0: Lovely. lovely. three years plus, isn't it? Oh, lovely. This is our our first post-pandemic... face to face isn't it it is it's, it's a shame
1: that uh, Greg couldn't be with us but it he's is. here with us in spirit um, so we look forward to seeing you in the next
0: exciting episode of Doctor Who and The Complete Menagerie Almost my boy If you enjoyed listening to that twaddle, you can follow us on Twitter at D.W. Menagerie. That's at D.W. Menagerie. And we'll be tweeting various photographs of our inside leg measurements and that sort of
1: thing. Doctor Who is copyright of the BBC. No infringements on copyright are intended. Support Doctor Who by purchasing DVDs and CDs and all other media from the BBC. Any comments made by the complete menagerie? (laughs) Almost. are All our own. You've been listening to a Sixth Floor production.